Okay, I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, three podcasts ago, I started talking about Odyssey. And then the last podcast, I started talking about cards from Odyssey, telling you stories about some of the cards from the set. But I had a lot of cards to talk about, so I did not finish. So today um, is me finishing. So last I left, I think I talked about Holistic Wisdom last time, so we're going to talk about Ivy Elemental. So when in Tempest, when the very first set I, I, I got to design cards for, or I was, I was in charge of, um, I made a card that ended up being called Cracklin. Uh, and, and what my goal was, I wanted to make an XG card that just made a 0-0 creature with X plus almost one counters. So essentially, XG make an X-sized um, creature. And in fact, in design, it was called Creature Ball. Um, and anyway, I was told that I couldn't do XG in a change, and it got trampled with XGG. But anyway, I kept trying to make Creature Ball. I tried, and I tried, and eventually, I finally... Uh, as creatures got a little better, I finally, uh, in Odyssey, was able to make Creature Ball, uh, which is XG, you know, uh, essentially an XX creature. You, it comes in with X plus one plus one counters. Um, and anyway, I'm excited that I, I finally got to make it. And, and um, one of the things I often talk about is how that you don't always get to make something the first time out. I mean, one of the lessons of doing design on, a, on an ongoing game is that, look, this game is going to last a long time. We'll have a lot of opportunities to make things. If what you want doesn't go in one set, look, if it's a good idea, eventually they'll get made. And so there's a lot of stories of me just, like, wanting to get something made and then it taking time. But eventually, you know, you stick around long enough and be stubborn enough, you can get it in. So Ivy Elemental was a, a little victory for me, uh, and I, I managed to get it in. Next is Croson Beast and Squirrel Mob. So Croston Beast and Squirrel Mob, I believe, have the distinction of being the first cards in Magic, and some of the only cards in Magic, that have the creature type Squirrel. Now, Croston Beast has the lovely, unique combination of Squirrel Beast, because uh, what we did with all of the Threshold was we played into this idea of uh, lyco- ly- lycanthropy? Ly- lycanthropy? Lycanthropy, it's a hard word to say. Um, which is what you might know as werewolfism, but the idea was things that changed. They weren't just into werewolves. And so um, this was a little tiny squirrel, like it was a 1-1 creature, but it turned into a 7-7 like, or something. And so the idea was, it's a kind of crazy idea, that this little squirrel transformed into this giant beast. It tickled me to no end. I, I, I enjoyed it. And the squirrel mob um, was a card... I don't remember. I didn't write this one down. But anyway, it, it had stats. Uh, and um, anyway, it was another card that was a creature type squirrel. Um, so here's one of the things that happened was, I really wanted to get squirrels in the game. I, why? Why do I like squirrels? I think the reason I like squirrels is that um, I like to get different types of humor in the game. And to me... Squirrels are green's type of humor. And let me explain what I mean by that. What I mean is that I think green gets great joy in watching people misunderstand sort of what nature is. Meaning, you look at the squirrels and they're like, oh, so cute and so innocent. And then they come and you know, beat you up. That's funny. You know, the idea of squirrels attacking somebody is funny to green because it's just people not respecting nature and that, that, that sort of the contradiction of what something appears between what it actually is is something that Green 
has endless fun with because to me that's very funny that people misunderstand what things are. And so having these cute little squirrels attack you, um, I don't know, green, green finds it funny. I find it funny, but I, I, I think it's, it's a green style of humor. Um, I'm a, I've always advocated for squirrels and magic. Um, I think the reason they're not is they do come across kind of extra silly, and I, I think the game is want to be conscious of not coming across too silly. Um, but my, my whole take, wherever we argue with squirrels, I'm always like, uh, you guys, we have rats in the game. I mean, squirrels are just rats with better PR. So if, if, if rats are okay, I think squirrels should be okay. But not my decision. Although in Odyssey it was, and thus there was a lot of squirrels. Um, probably the most squirrels per square inch of any magic set. Next, liquid fire. Okay, let's talk about things that uh, Mark tries to do that keeps getting stopped. Uh, this one is by the rules team, though. Um, so what Liquid Fire was supposed to be is deal five trample damage. It's an, it was, uh, it, I, forget, I think it was a sorcery, but deal five trample damage. That's the idea. You know, deal five trample damage to a creature. The idea being, I did damage to the creature, and then any damage, you know, beyond its toughness tramples over onto the player. Simple enough, right? Well, Magic is littered. Uh, Liquid Fire is, is I, I think, my first attempt to do this, but one of my attempts, where I try to do something that seems cool and simple, and when you actually have to write it out, it just gets ugly, because you can't just write trample on a, a lightning bolt or a, you know, a direct damage spell. Why? Why can't you do that? Uh, there's rules reasons. I, one of the things, real quickly, one of the things, part of my job is, I have a decent understanding of the rules. Um, like I said, I was a level four judge. I actually passed many tests for it. Um, I actually know the rules better than most people believe that I do, but... One of the things that I've learned is I understand what is po- capable and what is, poss- oh, sorry, what is possible and what is not possible so that I, when I can make cards, I know what I can do. Um, and certain uh, attributes uh, work well with non-creatures. Certain creature keywords work with non-creature spells. Uh, trample happens to be one that has problems. So anyway, I keep trying to make it, but uh, it, it is proving all sorts of, of problems. Um, next is the Mirari. So, um, if you guys remember, I've talked about this in previous podcasts, that I had this concept of a um, marquee card. Uh, and the idea was, it was a card, the idea of a marquee card was, it was a card using artifactual lands that anybody could play, that just kind of did something super splashy and, you know, just sort of exciting. Um, and Mor- now, the funny thing with Morari is we've done this effect so many times now that the Morari doesn't seem so exciting. But in its day... You couldn't just copy spells repeatedly. I mean, we had forks, you know. You could do one shot. But this was like, no, no, no. You can copy every spell. And the Morari is meant to be a very splashy marquee card for Odyssey. Um, it ended up becoming a major plot point for Odyssey, too. Uh, it didn't start that way. Or, or maybe... Actually, I think what must have happened was... I think the story people came up with the idea of the Morari. And then I'm like, okay, this is important in the story. I guess I'll make this a marquee card. Um, and the Morari... Magic-wise, it's done all sorts of stuff. Um, I mean, right now, I believe m- most of Mirrodin was made from the Rari, so it's, it's had a lot of influence on the, on the Magic multiverse. Um, anyway, it was definitely a card where I, I was pushing boundaries a little bit. The, the original version of Mirari, by the way, you just got to copy everything for free. Uh, and then we playtested it, and it was like, oh, free is a little, little good, so we ended up making you pay three. But even with that, it, it's, still, it's still actually quite good. Next, 
Mud hole. Mud hole. Okay. So, if I had a list, the cards I made that got the, the I got the most guff over, just the players just disliked it. Uh, mud hole's up there. So here's what I was trying to do. Sometimes you try to make cards that just play into some aspect of the set you're doing. Um, the set was all about threshold. I'm like, you know, one of the things that can happen is you can discard stuff or you can mill stuff. And I'm like, well, you get land in the graveyard. What if I just sort of as a means to fight against threshold, I removed land out of the graveyard? Now, at the time, it sounded cooler. I mean, sometimes you're in your little bubble and you do something and you're like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. And, you know, you get outside the bubble later and you're like, oh, what was I thinking? So, I, mud hole is not exactly, uh, not what you want to write home about. It is uh, a pretty forgettable spell. But, but it's not that forgettable in that I got so much crap for it. People were like, why did you make Because it's, it's a rare and, you know, it's just a super, super niche card and, it's so niche that it's hard to figure out what you want to do with it because a lot of times people don't have land in the graveyard unless they've been milling or discarding or something. So it's, like, it's a spell that just seems like, oh, great, you can do this thing you'd never want to do. Hey, thanks for my rare, you know. Um, and I, I do believe you want to have niche rares, and I do believe um, that it's okay to have cards that are super narrow, but this one is uh, narrower than most. And so uh, it has gone down infamy as being one of my I don't know, one of my, one of the things that people are like, really, you know, and, I, and, I, and my, my defense is, hey, I make a lot of cards, I made thousands of cards, you make a few mud holes, <laughs> my new slogan, you make a few mud holes, Morrow said, okay, next, need for speed, so need for speed is a red enchantment for R, uh, you can sack a land to give target creature haste, um, the re- reason I want to talk about this is the name, is, so I was in charge of names, and I decided I would branch out a little bit. Um, I would, you know, try to give it... Well, so this card was me trying to see if, if names with a little more of a modern edge to them were okay. I mean, Need for Speed, obviously, is a more modern expression. Um, and the answer is, kind of, we learned... Uh, so the fantasy has this old-time feel to it that fantasy sort of technologically... It, it, I mean, not that there aren't fantasy stories set in the present, but they feel more of the past. You know, the, that, uh, that fantasy is more like, oh, the technology is not current technology, but older technology. And so fantasy always has been associated with a little older time, and you got to figure out where. I mean, magic is bounced around. Um, but it's 16, 17, 1800s, depending on what, which set you're talking about. Um... And what I learned is, eh, you can't sound too modern. Like, like it just modern, a modern sensibility fights with the, the feel of fantasy, and so Need for Speed. Eh, in retrospect, I mean, I'm glad I tried stuff. I'm not against experimentation. Uh, and in fact, real quickly, a little side here. Um, one of the things that I think is very important is, uh, so uh, one of my favorite books is a, a book called A Whack on the Side of the Head by Dr. Roger Van Eck, um, O-E-C-H. And um, it's one of my favorite books. The, the premise of the book is that it says that there are people, the premise is that people, anybody can be creative. And the reason people aren't creative is that they self-censor and keep themselves from being creative. 
And so he talks about the 10 mental locks, the things people do and say that keep them from being creative. And one of them um, has to do with, I'll make a mistake, um, which, which is a, the idea that, oh, I, I don't think that's going to be fruitful, so I'm not going to try it. And I just want to say that it's one of the very important lessons of the book is, is that you can't judge, like, try things. Even things that you think might not work, you need to try things because sometimes they do work or, more often, you learn something from them that helps you advance to where you need to be. That when you're doing design, that... So, one of the things that's very important to understand is the way the human brain works is that it will retreat to known pathways. That if you don't know what to do, your brain kind of has an autopilot and it'll just go there. And what that means is um, your autopilot is is well-worn. It's where you always go. So if you're trying to come up with a new idea, if you just go to autopilot, you often just go play. You'll, You'll keep coming up with the same stuff. And the trick. See, I've read a lot of creativity books because it's one of my things. Um, and basically, they all say the same thing in different ways, which is that if you want to be creative, you have to learn to sort of create stimuli that forces you to break out of your normal pathways. You know, that if you just sort of think like you always do, you'll just go down the same path. But the second you introduce something that you haven't thought about before, that you've just a different vantage point, all of a sudden, you're exploring new things. So when I'm starting design, one of the most important things I want is just a new vantage point. I want to do a set in a way I'm using criteria that I haven't used before. For example, one of the reasons Top Down is nice is, let's say, I'm doing Greek mythology. Well, I've never tried to design a set through the lens of Greek mythology. So all of a sudden, I have all these decisions I'm making that just are different decisions I normally make. Um, for bottom-up, a lot of times I just want to get a mechanical heart. That, that's what, what the set is kind of mechanically about at its core. I want to get a mechanical heart that's something that I haven't just done before. You know, that if I just try to do the exact... If I try to repeat something I've done before, I'm much more likely to, to go down similar paths and, and do the same thing. Anyway, a little side. A little, side, a little, a little design in your card stories today. Um, next, Psychotog. Dun-dun-dun! Um, okay, so... Couple stories with Psychotog. So that I talked about a little, a little last time, which was Randy Bueller, the lead developer for um, Odyssey, wanted a cycle of Atogs. I came up with an idea for a multicolor cycle in which each color had an ability, it had something you could eat. So real quickly, let me let me talk about the history of Atogs. The history of Atogs. Once upon a time. No, okay. In in uh, before I came to Wizards, um, I came to Wizards. I started working with Wizards in early 94, but I did not really come to... I didn't come to work with Wizards until 95. Uh, and so, Antiquities was the first set I worked on. So the first set of Magic that just really enamored me... I mean, I, I mean Alpha enamored me, but the first, beyond, beyond just the game enamoring me, the first expansion to enamor me was Antiquities. And Antiquities, for those that don't know, um, there was basically the, the base set Limited came out, for Alpha and Beta, and then... Unlimited came out, and Arabian Nights came out, and then Antiquities was the second expansion. And Antiquities was the first expansion, I mean, I guess Arabian Nights was what we now think of as top-down, it was all about Arabian Nights. Well, Antiquities was about artifacts, and I loved it, I loved artifacts. Um, and so, um, in it was this little creature called Atog. And Atog, for those that do not know, is an anagram of goat, because it eats everything, like a goat. 
Um, and the idea of Atog was you could sacrifice an artifact to him for no mana, just accept an artifact, and he got plus two, plus two. He was a base stat of one, two. And when it came out, he was a common. Um, he was just derided. People did not like him. And I didn't understand why people didn't. I did not understand why people didn't like him because I just thought he was a really good card. I mean, I thought he was cute and fun. I, he tickled me on a, several levels, but I also think that he, I thought he was a good card. I'm like, Okay, I have a lot of artifacts in my deck. For nothing, I can convert these artifacts into power that could kill my opponent. That seems actually pretty good. Um, and so I made some bets with Atog, and I won with Atog. He, he was good. Um, and so, uh, I... Atog became... Before I came to Wizards, Atog was kind of my thing. So, right now, I, you know, I go by the name Morrow, and I associate with the card, that obviously, that I, I made. But before I was Morrow, when I used to go on, like boards and things. I was Atog. Atog was my... I really liked Atog. So we were working on Tempest, um, and there was a card that, that you guys know now is for Atog, that basically um, you... I think at the time, you would spend mana, and then you would sacrifice a forest, and it got plus two, plus two. And I was like, wait, wait, this is, this is an Atog. I'm like, all, all you have to do is just make it sacrifice an untapped forest, and then all of a sudden, it's not, you're not paying mana, although you, 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 know, you had to tap it anyway. So, uh, And I, I convinced them to sort of tweak it to make it for a tog, a green A-tog. And they, they said, fine. And then I'm like, okay, we've got a red A-tog, we've got a green A-tog. And then next, I think we were doing Visions, and I convinced them to do a blue A-tog. And the blue A-tog ate time. Chronotog, it ate time. Um, and then the next one, I, I was on a roll. I'm like, okay, we're doing a cycle. We were doing on cycles back then, I, I guess... Um, Anyway, I, I, keep coming up, I keep coming up with cycles, and I convinced them to do it. So then we came up with Necrotal, which ate things out of the graveyard, um, and that was in Weatherlight. Uh, and then in Tempest, my very first set, we, had the, we finished off with Oratog, which was a white Atog to Aiden Enchantments. Um, and I was very happy, and I was very proud, and uh, we'd done the Atog cycle. So when Randy wanted to bring back the Atogs, I was, I mean, there is no bigger Atog fan in, in, in R&D. And so I was like, okay, awesome. We should do that. Um, and so what happened was, um, I came up with the idea of doing multicolor, because we'd already done monocolor. Uh, and then, so I, Randy had suggested he wanted them. I said, okay, I think I have an idea how to do them. I made them, uh, you know, I, I, I talked about how he suggested, or uh, a talk talk. Anyway, so then I had to name them. And so I knew they all wanted to be Tog, you know, blink tog because they're A-Togs. That, that's the naming convention of A-Togs. Um, A-Tog, Fortog, Chronotog. Uh, Necrotog, Oratog. So they had to be something Atog. Um, and so what I did was I looked at a lot of Greek and Latin roots and trying to figure out things. Um, and the funny thing was Psychotog was originally on a different one. It was originally on the blue-white one, I think. Um, and I was talking to whoever was in charge of development. Who was in charge of development at the time? Um, maybe, maybe it was Randy. Um, it must have been Randy. And so I guess Randy said to me that we were working on them, and Randy said that the good one was the blue-black one. And I liked the name Psychotog, so I changed it. I changed from the blue-white one to the blue-black one. I'm like, ah, it could be Psychotog. Um, and I'm happy I did, because Psychotog has gone, gone on to have quite the history. And, like, it was like Lithotog. Like, I think maybe Lithotog and Psychotog swapped. or It, it had a much, one of the less... Uh, Psychotog, to me, was my favorite of the, of the Atog names. Uh, I'm so I'm happy I lined it up. Um... And that card definitely, it's, it's funny how um, 
you make something. I said this with Entomb, too. You kind of make a card, and, like, I was just trying to make eight dogs, and, you know, I was just trying to pick abilities and, like, you know, eating a card out of your hand or eating cards from your graveyard. It just seemed like it made sense for blue, it made sense for black, and, you know, I, I recognize there's some synergy there, but I didn't, I didn't realize how much synergy there was. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it definitely... Second Dog was one of those cards where, I, if you had asked me when I was ma- making it, like, is this going to be a tournament staple that might, you know, one of the top 20 creatures of all time? I would not have said yes. Although, I never say yes. I never realized my cards were that good because I'm not really concerned about power level. Not my thing. Recoup. So Recoup is my favorite flashback card. And, and here's where you learn that I'm a Johnny. Um, the funny thing about Recoup was, I think originally Recoup was going to just cast a spell, an injury or sorcery, or maybe a sorcery. Going to cast a sorcery out of your graveyard because we let um, we let Red get sorceries back from the graveyard. Uh, and then it just dawned on me one day that, well, isn't casting out of the graveyard kind of like it having flashback? And um, and then recoup kind of came about. It was just like a flashback card that granted flashback. And of course it like. And then we once we once we made the things a flashback. I'm like, well, it's got to have flashback and. Um, it's, anyway, I, I like Recoup. Recoup is one of my... Um, one of the things I used to do back in the day is I used to make puzzles, obviously. I used to make magic puzzles. Um, and Richard Garfield uh, dubbed something he called Rosewater Cards. And what Rosewater Cards were, were cards that just made awesome puzzles. That just, you put in a puzzle, like, oh, so many options, so many things you could do. And so whenever I make a card like that, he called it a Rosewater Card. Um, and Recoup is a Rosewater Card. It's just like... And like, it's awesome in a puzzle. Like, you have in your hand, like, oh, and now I have my graveyard, like, ooh, what can I do, you know? Uh, and it's also a perfect puzzle card because you use it twice. Um, I don't know those of you who remember my puzzles from way back when, but uh, a lot of the trick was trying to figure out how to have the fewest cards on the page because it got cluttered, and so I would try to pick cards that had, you know, could do multiple things. Um, anyway, uh, Psychotog, oh, no, sorry, sorry, Recoup was a very rare card. Roar of the Worm. Um, what was that roar in the worm? So the, oh, oh, I know what I'm talking about. So this was uh, flashback where it got 6G for 6-6 six, six, and flashback for 3G. So one of the things that um, I want to talk about for this card, which is an interesting design thing, which is when you get a mechanic, um, one of the things we refer to when we make a mechanic is what we call knobs. Uh, it's more of a development term. But knobs are how many different things can you change? How many things are there to play around with? And the more knobs you have on something the easier it is for development to balance it because the more means you have to adjust it. So, for example, I'll give you an example. Let's say I have a card that says, you know, draw two cards, you know, inspiration. Uh, There's not a lot of knobs on that card. In fact, the only knob, well, the only really knob is the the mana cost. You could argue that maybe how many cards you draw draw is a knob. Um, But so a one-knob thing usually is, look, all you have is the mana cost. Now, something like creatures, they have multiple knobs. Why? Well, not only do you have the, um, the mana cost, you have power and toughness to mess around with. And you also have creature type, which sometimes can matter a little bit. Um, and so, there's just more knobs. Now, something like flashback is, is, is knobby um, because it's got both a mana cost and have a flashback cost. In fact, I talk about that oftentimes in design, we try to have one cost. Like Bestow, when we first made it, had one cost. Flashback when we first made it had one cost. And each time development like, well, we really want a second cost. We really need the means to sort of fine-tune this. And kind of what makes Flashback awesome is the fact that later in the game it has a second use. 
Now, once that is true, once you lay off, once you set up your knobs, one of the things that's fine is to, is to have a few cards that sort of go against how the rest of the mechanic works to make something a little different. I mean, this is a card that says, oh, I'm not particularly cheap to cast. Fact, seven mana for 6-6 six, six is nothing special. But what does make this card special is four mana for 6-6 six, six is very good. And the hoop you have to jump through is get this to your graveyard. Now, obviously you could cast it, and if you cast it the next turn you could play it, so that's pretty easy. But there's a lot of other ways to discard it or mill it or get it into your graveyard. Um, and so this card has a lot, I mean, it has a nice Johnny-ish quality. I mean, spikes like a two, I guess. In, in that, it's just like, okay, solve this puzzle, and you get, you get a four-mana 6-6. Six, six. That's pretty good. Solve the puzzle. How do you do that? How do you get it to your graveyard? Um, and I, and I, I think that it's important. Um, I mean, it's funny that I don't think the... So one of the big differences between um, how R&D looks at a set and how the public looks at a set is our set is in flux, meaning it's not locked down. When I play, when I play test with a set... Anything can change. If I think something's unfair, I can just say, make a note, this should be three and not four, or I think this guy should be smaller or bigger, or whatever, whatever the issue I want to change. But I play knowing that every variable is still, is not locked down. Whereas the audience, it is, it is what it is. If you open a card, that's what it is. It's never changing, it's never going to be better, never going to be worse, it's what it is. Whatever you find, that's what you got. Um, and playing in a world of locked Information. It's just a very different world mentally than playing in a world with open information. Um, and, I mean, I, I think it's important that when you design that you want to leave yourself the ability to, to dabble. Now, be aware, in order for something to be special, it has to be the exception. Um, a very common mistake people make when designing is they go, they'll make something and that's the default. And they make something that's not the default, so it's different. Ooh, this is so fun. And they make a whole bunch of that thing. And what they miss is, the reason it's fun is not necessarily what it is unto itself. It's the context that contrasted to the normal thing, it is exciting. And my best example there is, um, I, make, I make dinner for my family. And then at the end of it, I make a special dessert. Well, that, that dessert is awesome. But if next time all I do is serve dessert, well, that dessert becomes less special because what made the dessert kind of fun was there's a whole meal there. The dessert was a special thing in the end, and the dessert was atypical to the meal. The rest of the meal wasn't super sweet, but the dessert is. And that when you're designing, you have to understand what your super sweet stuff is. What the, um, you know, just like the food pyramid, there's certain elements to your game that want to exist in different amounts. And that... Um, just because people find it fun doesn't mean in larger amounts it's more fun. In fact, a lot of time, what you want is just enough. You know, sometimes you want the little tip at the top of the pyramid, and you know, and the, the sweets are the sweets because they're, they're special. And then if the sweets were the bottom of the pyramid, you'd grow pretty tired pretty quickly of sweets. Okay, that ends our short aside. I like, by the way, this is just how you can tell how I function, that in everything I do, like in my comic, in my articles, in my podcast, I just like doing asides. It's just, it's just like I'm thinking about something. Wait, I'm thinking about something else in the middle of thinking about that. That's how I am. Next, Shadow Mage Infiltrator. Okay, so who designed Shadow Mage Infiltrator? This is actually not that hard a trivia question if you know anything about the Magic Invitational. So Shadow Mage Infiltrator was the winning card for John Finkel when he won in... 
um, Sydney, Australia. He beat Ben Rubin in the finals of the Magic Invitational. Um, the previous year, he had come in second, being defeated by Chris Pakula, who would go on to make Meddling Mage. So um, the Magic Invitational, for those who are unaware, and one of these days I really, really got to do a Magic Invitational podcast. Um, uh, it was my baby. It was the all-star game. We ran it for a long time. It, it has an interesting origin, which I'll get into in the podcast, and I talked about it. Um, and um, anyway, the prize for winning was you got to make your very own Magic card, and uh, you were always, you, the player, were featured in the art. Um, so Shadow Magic, uh, when John won, he actually had a, I think it was called Wrath of Lechniff. So Lechniff is Stinkle spelled backwards. Uh, and it was, I think, an uncountable Wrath of God, if I remember correctly. Uh, and we were like, yeah, we're not giving you... Uh, John is known for being a control player. Uh, he loves blue, he loves control. And so what he was making was the ultimate control card. Like, I, have, I can clear the board and you can't even stop me from clearing the board. So we said, John, no, 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 we're not going to make that. Um, it'd be, you know, in order to make it, it'd have to be real expensive and it wouldn't be what John wanted. You know, we, we wanted to make cards that people could play with in tournaments. We wanted to be able to push them. And so if players gave us cards they couldn't push, we'd, we'd sort of tell them we couldn't push it. Uh, and some players said, no, I want it. Some players said, nope, I'll make a new card. John said, okay, make a new card. Uh, and he came back. And so this card is one colorless, black and a blue. Uh, I think it's 2-2. Two, two, and it's got um, uh, fear and curiosity. So fear is old school intimidate. Um, basically, intimidate was fear, but built into black. Fear just said, black creatures and artifact creatures can't block me. Where intimidate says, you know, creatures that share a color with me can't block me. But uh, fear is old school intimidate. We changed it, A, so we could open it up a little bit to put it on other cards. And B, um, uh, we, the fear was an odd word, meaning that you were inducing fear. You didn't have fear. You were, you were scary, not fear. You were fear, you know, fearful, no, fear-creating, I don't know, anyway. The, we had a bunch of problems, with it, so we changed them. For mechanical and creative reasons, we changed it over to Intimidate. Um, so, anyway, John turned that card in. I don't think it, I, I think the printed version was what he turned in, which is not, that is not true for most Invitational cards. Most Invitational cards go through some massaging, but I think, I think John's card actually went straight through if it changed, it was a very subtle change. Um, but anyway, I, one of the things that's funny is when I first made the card, it got very poo-pooed. When I, when I first said, here's the invitation, here's the prize, I, mean, I think the public always thought it was cool. But the players early on were kind of like... like in fact, when Ula Rade won the very first one, he didn't even take his card. He would later. Um, and just that the players didn't sort of see it was a cool thing. Uh, and what I realized was... Um, and I, 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 I mean, my picture's not on Morrow, but I, I definitely have a card that's associated with me that I made. And it's cool that, you know, it's one thing to play a game of Magic, but it's another thing to become part of the game that you love. And there is just... And the funny thing is, like, I talked to a player, like, Chris Bakula, like, you know, he and I were talking not too long ago, I mean, a couple years ago, and where he sort of admitted to me that, like, really, it is the most awesome thing he ever won in Magic. That, yes, he won money and he won a lot of other things, but that, like... It was just kind of this prize that sort of, as he got older, you know, to say that he and Delby became part of the game that he loved, that had, you know, it's meant so much to him, that that kind of was something that, they, yeah, money was great and he spent it, but, you know, when the dust settles, you know, when you're on your deathbed many years from now and look back at your life, you're like, who knows where the money was spent? But knowing that you, you kind of have, you live on through your game, it's a pretty cool thing, and I'm kind of happy 
um, that I made it. I know a lot of people say, well, hey, should you, you should continue this. And I'm like, well, I, I, if I would like to if possible. It's not quite as easy a thing to do. Uh, anyway, it's a whole separate issue for another topic. So let's get back to Odyssey cards. Okay, next is Spheres of Duty, Grace, Law, uh, something in truth. Is that reality? Let's see if I, I can't read my writing. Um, so these were our attempt to fix Circles of Protection. So Circles of Protection uh, showed up in Alpha. Well, all, all but Circles of Protection Black and Circles of Beta. But the five Circles of Protections were in Limited, or in you know, Limited Edition, and um, they were cool, they were flavorful, but they, they had a lot of busy work, and, um, and, and sometimes they could lock people out. So this was our attempt to try to fix them, to make them a little cleaner. Um, they just prevented damage once, and so it, they, they, they could stop smaller things and a lot of bigger things to get through. Um, you didn't have to pay mana, so a little less management. Um, in the end, by the way, we, we decided that it just wasn't crucial for it. It slowed the game down too much, and the white didn't have to have it, so... That's why circles have kind of gone away. Um, okay, next, squirrel's nest. Oh, okay, okay. So, uh, squirrel's nest is when I wanted to do squirrels, brand team was kind of dubious. So, like, squirrels are cutesy, and I'm like, no, no, no. Oh, what they said to me is, because at the time, our slogan was um, that we were about badass creatures. That was part of our, you know, like, uh, the brand team would have, like, here's things that represent magic. One of them was badass creatures. And I'm like, oh, no, no, we can do badass squirrels. And so, uh, squirrel nest is a squirrel that instead of a, um, instead of a nut, it has an eyeball. Um, and it's funny because there's a movie coming out, a horror movie called Squirrels, I think. And it's the same image, but instead of it having a, um, an eyeball, they have, like, a finger. Um, but the same basic idea that instead of a nut, it's got part of the human body. Um, and the number of people that have forwarded me the link to that movie is hilarious. Because everyone's like, see, squirrels are scary. I'm like, I look at Preaching to the choir. Preaching to the squirrel choir. Okay, next. Stone Tongue Basilisk. Um, so Stone Tongue Basilisk is a basilisk, meaning it has a death touch, although this was before death touch existed. Uh, and it probably was 100% like death touch, but similar. Um, and at threshold, you got lure. Uh, lure means that you must block me. Everybody must block me at able. Um, and we had a big fight about this because um, sometimes our knee felt it was too easy. Like, well, of course you want lure on your basilisk, but why put it on the same card? Why make it too easy? Um, and I remember they used to make fun of... I used to make cards like this all the time. They used to make fun of it. They called them clever cards, you know, sarcastically. Um, and one thing I said is, look, magic is awesome, and you want to have opportunities where people have to figure things out and craft things together, and there should always be those moments of discovery, and those will exist. But sometimes, sometimes you just want your, your, your chocolate and your peanut butter together. Okay, from non-Americans, there's a thing called Reese's Peanut Butter Cups that's chocolate and peanut butter. I learned that peanut butter is not very popular outside the United States, which I did not know until I started traveling outside the United States. But anyway, I, I like making that reference because in the States they talk about the, you know, that's my, 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 my American-centric Reese's uh, comparison. But anyway, sometimes you just want the pieces together. And you know what? It's exciting to go, oh, this is good. And a threshold, oh, 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 this is really good. And that people get excited. And that while, yes, you should make people work for things some of the time, you don't always have to make people work for things. It's okay to, lip, to, to hand people things. That sometimes it's okay, you know, you don't, you don't have to make everybody work for everything. Okay, next is syncopate. Oh, okay. So syncopate um, is probably, uh, as, as the guy in charge of names of the set, the cleverest name in the set. So syncopate is a, 
essentially, uh, for XU, you um, mana sync them, meaning unless they pay X, the spell gets countered, and then the spell gets uh, X out from the game if they don't pay. So the card is uh, Power Sync plus Dissipate. Syncopate. Which is a word and means something you would put on a counter spell. Bam! Bam! Anyway, that's some good wordsmithing there. That's all I have to say. Mighty fine wordsmithing. Um, okay, next. Thought Nibbler, Thought Eater, and Thought... Uh, uh, see, my handwriting is not that good. Uh, devour, Thought Devour. Uh, this is a vertical cycle of cards that when you have them in play, they ate your hand size. Um, the funny thing, I mean, I think at the time we were thinking blue is mental, and that's why it didn't blue. It's funny, now I would stick them in black. I think black's more about, like, sacrificing hand size. That feels more black to me. Um, anyway, I like, I like that. So vertical cycle means you have a common, uncommon, and rare. Sometimes, nowadays, we have a common, uncommon, mythic rare. Um, and that means you, it's all in the same color that goes up vertically. We, we call that a vertical cycle. Next, Time Stretch. So Time Stretch, originally, was a very simple card. Time Walk with Flashback. Time Walk, Flashback. Uh, development would have none of that. None of that. So they turned it into Time Stretch, which is just take two turns. Now, I'm not quite sure why take a turn with Flashback, take a turn, when you can cost those whatever you want to cost them, is somehow worse than doing two turns. Um, my big problem, with, not that I dislike Time Stretch, it's just... One of my big things about saving design resources is if I have a card that I can only do in a set that I'm working on, I'd rather do it in that set. So, example, if I want to do uh, um, Time Walk with Flashback, well, I can only do that in a set that is Flashback. And be aware, at the time, I wasn't expecting for Flashback to come back. Uh, this is still when we were sort of, uh, you know, mechanicals that are disposable if they were not evergreen. So I thought this was Flashback's one chance to be in the limelight. I'm like, Time Walk Flashback? Whoa, that's awesome! Uh, and... And take two turns, also awesome, I don't think it's not awesome, but we could do that any set. Any set could do time stretch, but only this set could do flashback time walk. Um, but, I, anyway, I'll ask the development when I get into work today. Like, why? Why couldn't I do that? I never understood why. But, uh, anyway, that, that's why it's not time. If you ever wondered why we didn't do time walk flashback, we did, or I did. I just couldn't, couldn't close the deal, couldn't seal the deal. Um, one of the things, by the way, is I'm a big fan of time walk. Um, I know it's a dangerous effect, and we have to be careful with it, but um, if you notice that Magic has a lot of time walks, I mean, I get, it's funny. There's certain things that I like. Now, now, if you ever watch me, like, there's a lot of things I like. I'm, I'm a pretty big, I have a lot of interest in Magic. Um, but one of, the, one of them is time walk. I, I, to me, time walk is awful fun, because just taking an extra turn, it's just, it, it is simple in concept, but it has a lot of uh, complexities. It, it, it's pretty lenticular. Uh, in the sense that how to value when you need an extra turn and how to use it, and there's a lot of moving pieces, but the actual execution of it is you understand how your turn works. So, like, we'll just take an extra turn. It's something... Oh, one of the funny stories, real quick, I mean, this is really an alpha story, but I'll, I'll tell it, is, so, Richard in the, was playtesting alpha, and one of his uh, playtesters said to Richard, goes, I don't get this card. This card seems crazy, crazy powerful. And he shows him Time Walk. And Richard's like, well, yeah, it's, it's good, but I don't... Crazy, crazy powerful. It's, it's good. You know, it's very good. And the guy goes, I, yeah, but it seems... I, can we print this? And Richard was like, yeah, yeah, we can print it. And he goes, I, I don't understand how. It, I mean, you play it, and then you just automatically win. And Richard's like, well, what do, you, what do you mean you automatically win? And so Richard looked at the card, 
and it said opponent loses next turn. And obviously Richard meant, well, the next turn of the opponent is lost, so you get to take another turn. But the, the, the person had read it, opponent loses. When do they lose? Next turn. Uh, and Richard changed it so that you gained the extra turn rather than the opponent losing a turn. But anyway, it's one of my favorite stories. Um, snuck in an alpha story. One of these days I'll do alpha. Does anybody do alpha? I just stole a story from alpha. Okay, next we have um, traumatize. Oh, so traumatize. Uh, How much traumatize cost? Traumatize is 3UU, sorcery, mill, half a library. So I also like mill effects. I like a lot of stuff. Um, I like mill effects. Odyssey had a strong milling theme. And I was just trying to come up with the most awesome, like, so one of the experiments I do sometimes with my team is I say, just try to make the craziest thing you can think of. Just the craziest thing you can think of. Um, and sometimes it's too crazy. But sometimes, you know what? Not that crazy. So I was just sitting around going, okay, what's the craziest milling spell I could do? Um, and some reason, I mean, like, obviously Milva Library felt like too much. So I'm like... Okay, how about mill half a library? Because I felt like, oh my goodness, half a library? Um, and it was funny because, uh, uh, what's it called, Z- Zeno's Paradox. So there's this uh, riddle where you have a, I think the idea is you have a car that can teleport, but it, it, it only teleports half the distance from the place you want to go. Um, and so I, I had a big kick out of teleport, uh, traumatized uh, rounds down so that you can never kill them with traumatized. The traumatized can you know, almost get you there. But something else had to make them lose. That traumatized itself could never actually defeat them. Um, and that was me goofing around with, um, with uh, a little paradox. Uh, anyway, I, I like riddles. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, of logic riddles. In fact, I did a whole column once where I took, I took some of my favorite logic riddles and just gave them a magic sheen. Uh, and it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, I think there's five, what did I call it? Uh, if you look up, uh, oh, what did I call it? I don't remember what I called it. Um, maybe if you look, like, look up my name and puzzles or something, I'll be able to get, I'm not sure how to find it. Anyway, d- hidden deep in the bowels is, is, I do a bunch of logic problems dressed up in magic dressing. Next, Werebear. I liked Werebear. Um, so Werebear, the flavor of Werebear is, is lycanthropy. It's, uh, it's a human that turns into a bear. Um, so the flavor text is, he exercises his right to bear arms, B-E-A-R. Um, did I write that? Absolutely, positively, 100% I wrote that. Um, I would have written that whether or not I was in charge of names and flavor text. Now, I don't know whether the person in charge of names and flavor text would have put it on the card. Uh, but it, it's funny. That, that one actually did pretty well. It was, that one was not in the bottom five, uh, unlike um, Gordon Titan. Although I think, I think it might have been top, bottom like 20. I mean, it, it was... Whenever you do a pun... It, the, the thing that's funny about puns is you are trained to sort of groan at puns and go, that's bad. And, and so it, it's hard to judge sometimes when people like or don't like things because if they actually think it's bad, they say it's bad. But when they really like it, they say it's bad. So sometimes it's hard to gauge um, who does and doesn't like puns. Who, but who does like puns? Who has two opposable thumbs and likes puns? This guy. Okay, that visual works much better not on a podcast. Um, okay. But uh, Werebear was, I, I love the idea of one of the things we were trying to do with Threshold was have creatures that had one functionality early, early game and a different functionality late game. And so the idea with this card was pretty simple was, oh, it was an elf, you know, a mana elf that got you mana, and later on became a beater that can beat down. Um, so it was a 1-1 elf that I think turned into a... It got plus with 3, I think, so 4-4. Four, four. So it, like, early in the game, it, it helps ramp you. Later in the game, it turns into a 4-4. Four, four. Um, and I, I, I like Werebear. I like the flavor text. I like his flavor. I like, I like all, everything about him. I like his name. I'm very fond. 
So the final card today, I see Wizards up here. It's my final card of the day. Uh, and, the, and luckily we're near the end of my list, or actually the end, is Wild Mongrel. So the interesting thing about Wild Mongrel, I explained that... Um, did I explain this? Uh, I think I did. Uh, one of the problems is when I do my podcast, I, if things don't work, I'll, I'll, rec- I'll record a different... I'll re-record it. And so sometimes I tell stories and I'm like, oh, I know I told the story, but was it a podcast you guys heard? Um, so the real quick version of the story is... Um, we wanted a cycle of cards that were going to have discards. Uh, so there were a cycle of cards, creatures, that were all small, and they all had discard a card as a cost. Um, and Randy asked me, for his friend Eric Lauer, who at the time did not work at Wizards, whether or not we could make a cycle of dogs. Because Eric's always wanted a cycle of dogs, because a couple colors didn't have dogs in them. Uh, and I said, sure. So the green one was Wild Mongrel, which went on to be the, the good one of the five. Um, now, it's ma- the main reason it's good, it's funny, is you can set a creature to give it plus one, plus one. Set- discard a card, sorry. You can discard a card to give it plus one, plus one. All five of these cards, you discarded a card to give them an effect. Not, not, sorry, not sacrifice. You discarded a card to give them an effect. Um, and the plus one, plus one was very, very powerful. It allowed you to, you know, um, it was hard to block because if you had a handful of cards, you always could trade and kill things. And if, you know, if they let it through and you had enough cards, you could kill them. So it was just pretty powerful. Um... But we added one other thing. People often ask about this, which is it, it can change its color. And people are like, why? Why? Wouldn't the plus one plus one enough? And the answer was there was some kill spell, tear, or dark banishing or something that couldn't kill black cards that, was, that we wanted this to be good. And so Randy added on that ability um, in development to protect it from dark banishing, I believe. Um, and so it's kind of funny that, 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 like... Now, it went on to have other functionalities. It did other things that you know, circles and things that would try to stop you or, you know, protection. It would it, it ended up having some other functionality. It's not a useless ability, but uh, it's a little inelegant in my mind because the two don't really feel like they go together. You know, and green doesn't change colors. It's a really odd ability for green. So, uh, I mean, back in the day, green used to change colors a little bit. I mean, blue really is the color changing one now. Um, uh, I, I guess the idea is that green had a little bit of camouflage to it, but... Anyway, so... Uh, that is Wild Mongrel. Um, okay, so I got through all my Odyssey cards. So, uh, in four short, easy podcasts, I have given you Odyssey. So, I mean, looking back, the thing about Odyssey I, I found cool was it was my fourth set, my second large set. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes on Odyssey when I talked about lessons learned. In some way, Odyssey was some of my biggest mistakes I ever made was on Odyssey. But I think... It might be the set that I learned the most from of any set I've ever designed. It might be the set that just single-handedly gave me the largest advancement. Uh, it taught me to stop designing for myself and start designing for my audience. It taught me to figure out what the audience wants to do uh, and not to push them in directions that they don't want. Uh, it taught me to focus and not overstuff sets. Uh, it was a very valuable set. I mean, I, in, in some ways... Um, if you enjoy modern magic, and in my designs at least, uh, you kind of owe a little bit of a tip of the hat to Odyssey. Um, and, by the way, if you're super, super spiky uh, and you ever want to have a crazy draft environment, uh, I know a lot of uh, pro players and stuff love drafting that format because it is, it is, it is the, probably the spikiest or one of the spikiest blocks we've ever done. Uh, and if you enjoy trying to understand how card advantage gets warped and you're willing to throw away your hand and this and that, it, it's fun. It's, it's, I mean, I do think, I, I am proud of it. I think I made some mistakes, but I, I do believe that if, if you're the audience that I was making it for, it is a very fun set. And so anyway, I thank you guys for listening to me. It was, as always, fun to talk to you. Oh, and I had some traffic today. 
Also, when I got here, I, I talked for a little bit, so you guys get an extra long time. Not quite as long as my longest, but longer than normal. So anyway, uh, it's raining in today. Ah, uh, Seattleite drivers. Okay, thank you very much for joining me on this podcast. My second longest ever, uh, which was good because I needed a lot of cards to get through. And I hope you enjoyed all four Odyssey podcasts. So uh, thank you for joining me, and it's time for me to go making magic. Bye-bye, guys.